Ephesians chapter 2. And I would like to read again verses 1 through 3. And Paul says, And you were dead. Dead means dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. May God bless our hearts the uh, reading of his word this morning. And Last week we began this uh, second chapter looking at the, why man needs a savior. Why does man need a savior? It's found in these first three verses. Remember the, uh, the first reason we looked at last week was he is dead in his trespasses and sins. And dead means dead. He cannot see, he cannot hear, he cannot understand. He can't make himself better before God by all of his efforts. Uh, he has no goodness to offer God. And that goodness, even if he had it, huh, would not save him. Because you're never good enough. Uh, you can't please him in any way in your fallen state. You cannot glorify him apart from Christ. We were all in this state, Paul is saying at one time in our life. We were rebels, sons of disobedience. In your fallen nature, you still have. We talked about that. And it's just as bad as it ever was. Don't think there's no sin that you can't commit. When you're tempted, Paul says, uh, you better be careful uh, lest you fall. So we're strong in the Lord, as we'll see in Ephesians, but we're weak in the flesh. We're powerless in the flesh. In the flesh dwells no good thing, no good thing. And that's what we are by nature. Uh, and so we talked about you must be born again. You must have the spirit of the living God. Uh, regenerating you, uh, working in you, uh, empowering you, enlightening you. And uh, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And that means you, personally. Every individual has to be born again. This is not a family affair uh, where the, the father becomes born again and so uh, every, that saves everybody in the family. No, this has to personally happen to you individually. And let me ask you, have you been born again by the spirit and power of the living God? And uh, this is that important. Don't miss, somebody said, don't miss heaven by missing Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't miss heaven by not being born again. If you haven't been born again, I pray you just, in your quiet time, just bow your head and ask Christ to come into your life, to change you, and, and uh, that you would receive him by faith. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. That's our only hope in this world. And so, uh, we want to see, oh, and by the way, that is a humbling thing, isn't it? 
See, you want to be lifted up? You want to be lifted up? Everybody wants to be lifted up, but there's only one way to do that. That's to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And, by, and you cannot do that in your flesh. You cannot humble yourself. The Spirit of God has to humble you and come into you and change you, regenerate you. So this week, I want to look at those next two uh, things uh, of why we need a Savior. Secondly, uh, we need a Savior because everybody has been captured and blinded by an evil, supernatural person named Satan. You find that in verse 2. Not only do we have our own flesh, but we have got an enemy who is at work to keep us blind, to uh, keep us from seeing Jesus. He's hard at work doing that, as, as though our flesh wasn't enough, our fallen nature. That's why we need a Savior. And then we see thirdly here that uh, without a Savior, all people are under the wrath of God. And so we're going to look at these next two thoughts this morning. And uh, there is a consequence of rejecting Christ. And uh, But we find that all of mankind that does not have Christ in their life, that have never been born again, they're captive to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And somebody may, oh, I'm not captive to Satan. Well, do you know Christ? No, but I'm not captive to Satan. But see, according to God's word, yes, you are captive to Satan. You are of the father, the devil. In the lust of your father, you will do. So you're either in one camp or you are in the other. And Satan is powerful and he wishes to destroy your life. Even as a Christian, we still have that struggle because we still have our own nature. Why, where do we find out about, about such news as how bad we really are? Do you find that on the news meter? Do they come on every night and say, oh, you terrible rotten sinners out there in TV land. You need to repent of your sin. And is that headline news? I never see it. But that's what ought to be headline news. It ought to be preached for every... In other words, TV could be a tremendous tool to teach. It's not. Why? Because Satan has captivated all of those people. Uh, they are in his camp. Now, where do we find... About that, how bad you really are, right here, God's holy word. And Paul is telling us just our desperate situation. He's telling us how bad we really are. And again, as I said last week, nobody likes to hear how bad they are. Do you? Do you like to hear how bad you are? I don't. But we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And uh, so we are revealed these things through God's word, through his word. Now we see here that uh, he is the prince of the power of the air. He rules over the, uh, 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 the authority of the air. You might say, what does it mean by air here? What does it mean he's, he's, 
He's the ruler over the air. I think it's what he's saying here is Satan's influence is so pervasive it can be called the power of the air. Uh, it is a power that can get to mankind everywhere he lives on the face of the earth. That's how pervasive this is. There's not one little section over here that he doesn't have influence in. No, he and his demons are everywhere, and they're working hard. So the whole world is his domain, and he is this authority. Or, or and, and what is this authority or power of the air? Probably the things found in Ephesians 6. Now look in Ephesians 6, 12. Remember the best way to interpret scripture is with scripture. Okay, you can read commentaries and they're great. I've been helped by them. But go to the scripture. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. And uh, I don't see my clicker here, did I? I don't find my clicker. Who ate my clicker? <laughs> it, it probably hidden. Is it on the, not there. Because I've got a lot of clicking to do. Isn't it true, Janine, I can't find anything? <laughs> There's proof positive. That uh, thank you, Andrew, for finding my clicker. Uh, amen. I would be in trouble. So he is uh, mighty, mighty power, and he has those that are helping him. For what does Paul say in Ephesians six and verse twelve? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness. The whole world's in darkness, see, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that's who uh, is doing this. And we could, we'll break that down later as we get, but the world rulers, the rulers of darkness, and uh, we, we've seen that uh, amplified in the world in, in times past with Hitler and so forth, uh, and it's, it's prevalent even today. And so this is their sphere of activity. They rule the air, the inhabited world of mankind. Evil is everywhere. Uh, just go there and you'll find evil wherever it is in the world. And, uh, you don't have to go anywhere. After. That's right. Right in the church, there's... there's uh, there is even there is evil everywhere, and even Satan comes, and he'll get your mind on something else. He'll put things into your mind to get your mind off of the Word of God. So he is everywhere, and it has a tremendous influence. He and his demons. Uh, we find in Matthew twelve twenty four says, "But the Pharisees heard this. They said." This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub. Beelzebub literally means in the Greek, Lord of the flies, the ruler of demons. So that's Satan, Beelzebub. He's the, <clears throat> he's the ruler of this world. In John twelve thirty one. now judgment has come upon this world 
Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's Satan. And uh, remember when Satan came uh, to Jesus uh, in, in Luke chapter 4, 6, and 7. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain. See, this was what Satan has. He was going to let Jesus have it. And it's glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours. So this age, this world order, the world itself is under the control of Satan. Now, it doesn't mean that he can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to, but his activity is alive and well, and it's under the control of Satan. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, For he rescued us from the domains. So this is where you used to be as a lost person. He, but Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Only in Christ you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But this is the domain of darkness, which is uh, Satan's. 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God and that the whole world, came any clearer than that, lies in the power of the evil one. You see, so we don't only have our nature, we're dead. We have one who is coming against us and coming against the lost, who keep, keeps the lost uh, in a state of turmoil with all his temptations in the world and the uh, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So God is the one who has to save. You have to be enlightened by God. You know, it's really, uh, <clears throat> and so what did God do? We, Matthew one twenty one says, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for what will he do? He will save his people, not in their sin, but from their sin. They will be taken out of the domain of Satan and put into the kingdom of God's dear son. And that is what Christ is about uh, in this world of darkness. Have you submitted to him? Have you called out to him? You know, it was at the cross. The decisive death blow was struck against Satan. Colossians 2, uh, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your trespasses and, and transgressions, dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it where was the victory won? At the cross. At the cross, at the cross, we sing about when he had disarmed the... And what did he do at the cross? What did Jesus do when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the evil ones? He made a public display of them, having triumphant over them through Christ, through himself. Wow. That's what he's done for us. 
he's redeemed us uh, and brought us out of one domain into another. Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that is, flesh and blood, Christ did, that through death, the cross, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see that? We don't have to fear death anymore. Wow. We can actually look forward to death. You know, people tell me, oh, are you a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. Oh, I fear death. I said, why do you fear death? You're going to a better place. Uh, There is no fear of death. Perfect love casts out fear. Christ is the one you need because he will do that in your life. Uh, We know that, 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he, that is Christ, who is in you now than he who is in the world. See, the world only has Satan and darkness. That's their domain. But know what? We have Christ who is light and love and all the fruit of the Spirit. That's where we dwell. Wow. God's done a lot, hasn't he? So now, how does Satan exert his rule in the world? We find that in in verse 2. The Spirit, he says, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So his spirit is working in the sons of disobedient among whom we all once lived. That is, before we had Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. We need a Savior not just because we were dead, but also because Satan works to keep us dead. Satan is at work to keep the lost blind so they they may not see the light. See how much against man has? How much against God he is? He's got it coming from all different, not only his own fallen nature, but Satan himself is coming against us. We don't have a chance. On our own, we don't have a chance. That's why we need Christ. And you need to run and fall at the cross. Fall at, I mean, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. Is that so hard? Sure is. Even as Christian, when we have the Spirit of God, it's hard to go, God, forgive me for that sin I just committed and really mean it and cry. Ah, that's forgiven. Eh, no big deal. You better check up if that's how you think about sin. So Satan works to keep us in that state. How does he, how does Satan pull this off? Working in the sons of disobedience. We we see that he keeps people from seeing anything of the glorious cross that it is. Have you ever talked to people about the cross and they go, huh? You find that glorious? Somebody dying on a tree? That's glorious? That's what Paul 
said, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, even if our gospel is veiled or hid, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see that. Is that glorious to you? Is the gospel something that thrills your heart? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, I can take it or leave it. Most of the time, leave it. You know, doesn't mean much to me. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's my Savior. Think about it in your own life. I'm talking about not when you're in church, but when you're in your quiet time, in the moments where you're all alone. What are you like then? That's who you really are. Do we really, do we really see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God? Does that fascinate us? Does that thrill us? Does that change us? Wow. We find the, the word of the cross is what? Foolishness. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. We find power in the cross. We find power in Jesus to live the Christian life. Faith in him, belief, trusting in Jesus empowers us. Wow. It's, he gets all the glory, but there are two reasons. And that is because Spiritual things have to be spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The only way they're spiritually discerned is that you have the Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, you will perish. Unless you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you will die in your sins. Uh, also, Satan is busy doing what? Matthew thirteen nineteen. Remember when the seed was sown, the sower of the seed, where some it, and, and it didn't fall on good ground by the road, side of the road. And so, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. See, he can do that this morning in your life. He can have your mind on something else this morning, and you'll say. I think what the preacher said was good. I don't really remember. What, what was the text? Why? Because Satan can fill your mind with all your problems, with what you're going through, and you're feeling sorry for yourself, and you're not just digesting and taking in. Uh, because why? The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. That's what Satan is busily doing. He's snatching away the word of God. You know, Ananias and Sapphira uh, is an interesting story. Uh, and Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan, notice, Satan filled your heart? See, God, Satan can fill our hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. Yeah, I would say Satan is is active, isn't he? Following the course of this world. 
They literally walk according to the age of this world. That's what Paul's saying. That means, I think, they are right in step with the times. They fit right in to the evil that's going on in this world. They're held captive. They're held captive to whose will? Satan's will. You see, they have no power to overcome it. You are of your father the devil, Jesus tells them, and you want to do the desires of, the fa- of your father, not your father in heaven that you claim to know, but the, the, the Satan. He is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is how much truth in Satan? No truth in him. Whatever he speaks, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, which is rotten to the core. No good in Satan at all. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, Jesus never mixed words, did he? He, he? he told it plainly, just like it was. And then lastly, we see uh, man needs a savior because by nature we are children of wrath. That's in verse 3. You know, because you might say, okay, big deal, you know, I don't come to Christ. Big deal, you know. What, what then? Well, there is a big deal. And that is what? The wrath of God is coming to those sons of disobedience. This is what Paul is saying. It is a big deal that you hear what I'm saying. Because your soul will spend somewhere in eternity. Somebody said, if you walk with Satan in this life, you'll walk with Satan in the next life. And I think that says it. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. The world is following Satan. Whose wrath is this? Whose wrath is this? Is it the wrath of Satan? No, it's the wrath of God. Ephesians 5, look ahead in verses 5 and 6. He says what? For this we know with certainty. That no immoral, make sure I've got the, uh, yes, uh, uh, immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the, king, in, in the kingdom of Christ in God. You know, he says, you know with certainty. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, notice, because of these things, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's not saying, I think this is going to happen. This is a possibility. You better be kind of aware. You know, that hurricane, Irma, you know, there's a chance that that thing could do all kind of loop-de-loops in it. He's not saying that. He's saying to the sons of disobedience, the wrath of God is coming. And it's not going to be pretty. You have ears to hear. Why are we like that? Because we do naturally what God hates. The natural man sins and he loves it. And don't misunderstand me. We're Christians. And in our mortal flesh, the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. Why? Because there is pleasure in sin. 
But sin, God hates. That's something we can be sure of. You know, if uh, we learn that God would be unrighteous if he looked with indifference on our sin. Almost done here. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9 says, For after all, it's only just for God. See, God is just in his wrath to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. He's coming again. And as uh, well, that creation science teacher said, he's coming again and boy is he mad. Uh, I'm not sure uh, about that, but yeah, the wrath of God is coming. You're, he said, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. He's not com- coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. And believe me, if you've ever been around a lion, you don't want to wrestle it. Okay? You're not going to win. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. See, you must know God personally. And to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal. Now notice their destruction. You know, it would be one thing. Well, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll be punished for a little while, you know, and then, okay, everything will be like it was before I was born and there won't be any memory or any. I'll just be annihilated. Is that what he says? Does the scripture teach that hell is not eternal? You know, it speaks more of eternal hell than it does of eternal heaven. Amen. It says, what does it say here? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It's a big deal. Sin must be punished in Christ or you will suffer eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 41 through, and then 45 through 46. Then he will also say, remember we looked at uh, uh, those who served Christ and those who, who didn't. He said, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into, again, what? Eternal fire never quits, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal, again, punishment, but the righteous into what? Eternal life. Wow. And of course, you can't get there on your own righteousness. The righteous ones. What is he saying? Those who have the righteousness of Christ by faith. You have Christ's perfect record put on your account by trusting him by faith, by falling at the feet of Jesus and crying out, God, save me. If I'm not saved, save me. Or I'm not saved, save me. But Lord, work in me. by your Have mercy upon me. I had a friend that said one time to me, when I became a Christian, I said, you know, you need to get saved. He said, oh, I'm planning on doing that right before I die. 
Whoa. Is that not in the face of God or what? That's in the face of God. I don't care what you say. It's like you have control. That God has no control. He's kind of up there wringing his hands. You better be careful how you talk to God and what you say to God. He is God Almighty. God Almighty. We were talking about it in Sunday school. We, read a, we sang a song. He's got all the grains of sand numbered. Did you know that changes every day? Don't think you can get away from God. Matthew 13, 41 through 43. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And notice, he who has ears, let him hear. You better hear this. You better tell those who don't know Christ, they better hear this. They better get on their face before God and plead that he would open their blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. Because it's true. And he's coming again and he is angry in those who have sinned against him. He will punish an everlasting fire. You might say, well, that's not fair. That doesn't seem fair at all. But you don't understand the holiness of God. You don't understand who he is and how desperate we are and how we deserve his wrath. That's what we deserve is wrath. You've got to understand that. That uh, uh, Matter of fact, it's even called the wrath of the Lamb in Revelation 6, 15 through 17, and promise we're almost done. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And brother, when he comes again, I don't want to be in the state of not knowing him. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. He ain't coming as a lamb, but he is the lamb of God. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who and who is able to stand? You can't hide from him. You can't hide from him. But let me tell you, there's good news. See, that's the thing. It doesn't end here. Boy, if this was it, there'd be no reason for us to come to church. I mean, it would be over, right? But notice here at verse, what is it, 4 of Ephesians 1, which we'll get to now, uh, of chapter 2, verse 4, he says what? But now God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's the good news we're going to look at next week. But I can't leave without telling you the good news. Jesus delivers from the wrath of God. Only Jesus delivers from the wrath of God. How do I know that? Well, the word of God tells us that. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from what? The wrath to come. Hallelujah. See, you're safe in the arms of Jesus. But you've got to fall into the arms. 
have you fallen into the arms of Jesus and said, God, I'm a great sinner, even a much bigger sinner than I can ever imagine or think. But Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. I need you, Lord. Come into my life. Change me every day by your power. Work in me. Make me like Jesus. Is that your prayer this morning? Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus, our Savior, to save us from the wrath to come. Oh, God, we praise you. We thank you. Lord, help us to give this message out. Be with Britain again as he goes to Texas, that he'll give this message out. Jesus came to die for our sins. He was raised for our justification. And he saves us from the wrath to come. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name.